Welcome to the Metal Zone Podcast. This is episode 48, recorded on July 4th, 2021. I'm Tom. And I'm Stefan. And today's episode has quite a lot of recycling topics. So we start with material, filament and 3D printing recycling. Then we continue with like recycling filament spools. Is cardboard better than plastic? Then we continue with a really interesting process of recycling PET bottles with the pet bot. And we end with, yeah, the recycling of, uh, fiber reinforced, uh, wind turbine plates chopped down and put into PLA plastic. Also, one of the things that was happening last weekend is MRF. The Midwest Rep Rep Festival has been put on under adverse conditions and one of the products that launched there is the Loadspot Sidekick uh, in the 289 and 747 variants. Uh, we talk about how that fits in and, and, and what's been happening with that launch um, and about another launch which was uh, Sheetabox Pro, um, the software that pretty much every low-end resin printer uses these days and how that is now a base version and a paid subscription for a pro version and what that might mean what that might mean for the future of the resin the low-end resin market also we answer questions all throughout this episode we, we don't have a real Q&A segment today um, but one of the questions we answer at the end is what would be a good filament a good printer for making reproducible uh parts at home for yourself i guess that that's not really part of the question but we we answer it anyways it's getting hot in here <sighs> perfect temperatures to run a filament recycling system isn't it <laughs> um well it's perfect weather to run a filament recycling system because that's down in my basement where it's way colder <laughs> Where, where I enjoyed, well, just, just being the last couple of days and, and, and even weeks more and more. Because, yeah, don't have any AC in here. Um, thought about Still it. Still not. Still yeah. not. Uh, I'll, I'll be buying a fan. And if I properly vent my office early in the morning, it, it's not that bad. But yeah, I think it's again really toasty in here again. It's 27 degrees, which is a lot of Fahrenheit. <laughs> yeah, few. I I still have my uh my radiator, my electric radiator going here. Um my heat lamp essentially because I'm I, I am actually in the basement on here recording and it is kind of cold. My feet are getting cold, so. The, it's it's, it's, it's interesting. It's it's interesting. So I'm I'm sweating uh up here and I'm hoping for for an air condition. Uh you are down in the basement having uh, your heater running. Um so what I noticed, so I have the inverter of my solar system and also my whole network switch right. and everything, which, uh, which is connected to that down in, in basically my workshop. And usually it has been around 17 degrees, like all year round. But now since we get 
quite a lot of uh, solar energy down uh, down there. Um, it has been gradually warming up and warming up, and I yeah. think we are already at 22 degrees Celsius. It's it, basically a perfect temperature for full working. <laughs> yeah, my, my unfortunately with with my inverters, they do make some noise. They do have well, they have fan noise, and they also make mm. like invertery noises. Okay, uh, so they have a, a very nasty high pitch whine to them. So okay. the room that they're in really is just storage you can't really do anything in there but it is getting really toasty um it's 22 kilowatts of solar inverter power and it's also 22 kilowatts of solar coming down from the roof at times and at i don't know what are they 97 ish percent efficient like that sounds really good but three percent of 22 kilowatt is still (laughs) a lot of heat to put into your room uh so yeah that that's getting toasty as well but it's at it's literally at the opposite end of of this basement okay I, yeah. Uh, how how have you been holding up? So we, we we're skipping right past the film at the, uh, recycling topic. How have you been holding up in the in the recent storms? Uh, any any flooding with you? Um, no flooding on my side. So if we would get flooding, that would only be if we get a lot of rain over a longer period of time, since we're living right. next to to a river, and that's usually doesn't really well significantly raise its level uh, when there's just a a thunderstorm. So. Um, we were kind of hit. A couple of tomatoes died, um, oh. but not that much worse. Um, just like a kilometer to the uh, to the west, uh, where I'm living, they really got like tish uh, tish tennis ping pong <laughs> ping pong ball sized <laughs> ping pong ball ping pong ball sized um, hail, um, and they seriously got got some damage there so um cars didn't look that well afterwards um i I bet there is there was a tree in front of uh, the house of of a friend of mine where the security camera captured where it got blown over and like crashed on the neighbor's car but that's that's all insured right well which insurance insurance pays for that is that the car's uh full casco versicherung or is it the no it, it's it's the t- it's the tile casco okay that's should... right i i don't know well i i think that was a tree which belongs to the city but if you're i don't know if you're getting smashed by a tree i think at first the tile casco is paying and then maybe okay. the tile casco tries to get the the, the money back from the tree sure, owner at, at that point it's not your problem anymore yeah so like what, now, what's, uh, what's the tree owner gonna do like tie down yeah. their tree yeah Yeah. how how have you been i i heard that at least in the past you already had a bit of water in your basement yeah so we are we are living sort of next to uh the Isar, um the same river that that, uh, that flows through munich and we're basically in the Isar glacier bed former glacier bed um so it's all flat and we're basically at the same level as the river um though the river is like almost a kilometer out uh, but the house is basically sitting in groundwater. Um, so it's, it's like the regularly groundwater is like a meter down from the, um, from the basement floor. Um, but when it rains, that rises up really considerably. And what always happens is it pushes through the walls. So where there are windows, there used to be a window here that I've ported up. Um, but wherever that there are windows in the basement here, um, the concrete crack that the typical 45 degree crack angle, um, because you have those stress concentrations in the corners and that has been filled with polyurethane at some point but you know stuff keeps settling stuff keeps moving and that's where Mm. water pushes in 
also from the uh, from the sewer system um, because here the um, the gutters are still connected to the sewer system. So all that water from the gutters mm. presses into the sewer system and it has nowhere to go because mm. everybody else is also pressing in. So yeah. it tries to back up or it tries to back 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 out of um, where we, for example, have washers connected and stuff. So mm. that's we, we always get a bit of water pushing into the basement. So far, it's been holding up pretty well. That stuff hasn't really been underwater. We've had that in the past where we had like knee deep water in here, which isn't pretty at all. But I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of worried because events like these are—they're not getting any rarer, at least. Um, so I don't know. The entire studio is in here, and if this stuff gets flooded, yeah, I'm, I'm a couple ten thousand euros deep in in equipment that's ruined. Also, everything else that's in the in the other basements. So mm. I don't know. So, it, well, p plus the additional work that you would need to put into get everything like clean again and 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 dry again yeah but well it's it that's just for the stuff that's in here plus damage yeah. to the house so yeah but since since you got this like groundwater moisture problem do you well constantly run a dehumidifier two. where you well two, two okay yeah so once one's over because in the uh in the workshop because other, yeah. otherwise my tools would just rust away and you can see that with uh, with regular steel tools that are not chrome plated or anything they just start to rust um, and also in the studio because I have the um, the ERV the energy recovery mm. ventilation system uh, that's that does introduce a bit of moisture even though it's supposed to like equalize it a bit but that still introduces here I've been running a, a dehumidifier in here as well it's off right now because it makes noise but okay. typically that runs Controlled by the solar system, which is nice. Yeah. So it only runs when there is excess uh, solar power. Mm. Because, well, otherwise all of the filaments behind you would yeah. probably get get really bad quickly. Yeah. Well, P PTG isn't that happy, but it works. Like you can you can leave it out in the open. PLA as well. If it's like eighty percent humid in here, you could throw mm. it all away without drying it. So. Mm. Oh well, weather's. If you've you've seen the the ocean that's burning. Right, you've oh seen. yeah, that looks really. I I God. don't actually want to say nice, but it looks really impressive. It it looks like a like a um, like a render challenge that like Quarter yeah. Digital put on or something. It's it's spooky. Um, Canada's on fire. Madagascar is uh, starving. Like uh, and you're recycling film, so you're doing something good. <laughs> I'm I'm doing something good. Yeah, so. As as we started off, yeah, I continued my f filament recycling efforts series. I don't know uh, how I want to call it, but just uh, getting back at it and also presenting to all of the other people out there what the challenges are and maybe even this. Well, not maybe, but also discuss if something like that would be viable. Um, starting from what problems I already have on using my material that I thought was nicely sorted and controlled. Um, but what challenges you, you would actually have when uh, you would say, okay, let's start a filament recycling or a 3D printing recycling service. Send in your material and we will make new, mat uh, new filament out of it. That's, that's been tried in the past, right? <sighs> 
there have there have been companies yes. that tried something like that Maybe something exactly. like yeah. that but i haven't found anything that is that is still working or that yeah. who who are still doing that most or maybe basically all of the recycled filament that you can currently buy is industrial waste where <clears throat> you definitely know uh, which grade of material that was or which which polymer in the first place it was and which yeah. grade of a polymer it was uh, you know that it's it's clean you can easily sort it by color and things like that but yeah, as soon as you and just, just taking just the fact sorry, that you, you just have one type of of uh polymer that it's not like yeah. you have pla and you've got a, a chunk of abs and that's really going to yeah. de degrade your, your material quality okay so i i have shown on, on on twitter that i have been collecting 3d banshees over the last i think two years uh starting from when i i did my filler series and i thought okay it it will be a nice project to extrude new material out of a hundred three benches because one three bench is around 10 grams uh, grams so a hundred three benches is is roughly just one full, roll of material spool, yeah. but over the last years or when i started sorting or just pouring out the three benches i already noticed okay there are some parts in there where i definitely know they shouldn't be recycled so i had carbon fiber parts in there i had copper plated right. parts in there i had glow-in-the-dark 3d benches in there so i was already questioning myself how can i be sure that all of the rest of the parts i have in there are at least pla how can i hmm. um, distinguish between pla and ptg which which is the obvious contestant because um they have rather similar weight properties stiffness properties optical uh, properties uh, abs is kind of easy to distinguish just due to the fact that it's way li lighter due to a, um, a lower density yeah and also but, with, with abs you you rub it with a knife and you can smell that abs smell if you want to like yeah you know if, if yeah. you want yourself to, yeah. to distinguish it and not just if you don't have the option to throw it all in a pot of water and see yeah. which ones float essentially yeah <laughs> even though 3d benches don't float really nicely yeah. uh, but that's something else um so what i actually ended up doing because i don't have expensive like ir equipment that is used in like commercial recycling plants to distinguish between different uh, different plastics i put uh, all of my 3d benches in the oven at 65 degrees celsius and i squ squeezed all of them and the ones that were soft um i knew okay they are probably pla yeah but this was like more me. or less the best thing i could come up with um of course you could do solvent tests or smelling tests or i don't know um weighing tests but uh weighing or checking the density is is also hard if you have a part with infill yeah. and then for example with pla and ptg the density is pretty similar it is challenging already with my small setup now just think about how it would be if you have like 100 customers sending in there yeah i think it's pla um printing residues yeah. and and support structure and stuff like that into your company how could you make sure that everything is just you, that one type can't. of polymer you can't and i think that is one of the most essential basic questions or problems that such a recycling system uh, would have 
I'm quite sure that there might be solutions for that problem, but I don't have them at the moment. And I think it is kind of nice to just put those questions out and, and see if we can get it, a discussion going right. because there is a really a lot of interest in recycling failed prints, but uh, there are challenges that people need to think about and it is not that easy. And, um, also for small makers, it is not really feasible to, to recycle your materials because already the amount of work I had to put in to, uh, yeah, sort the stuff. Um, even though it's stuff you stuff. had printed, you knew exactly. you should, could have known what he put in there, right? Yeah. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Um, Let's so actually... that, that, that's going to be part of the series and, and right. I'm quite quite interested to see what uh, people are going to say. Yeah, um, we, we do have quite a, quite a few topics today if we ever get to those um, about recycling and, and uh, reusing the, the filaments and the materials we already have. And I think one, I just pulled up or, or pulled to slot number one, a question that we actually got. Usually we do questions in the end. But uh, Astrosmokes asking, hey, uh, why are filament spools plastic and not recyclable? Well, they, they are they are recyclable, but they aren't recycled per se. So, um, you know, typical filament spool. Uh, this is polystyrene. This is the typical German half in a spool. Um, and these have a little uh, material marker on them. That yeah. is probably going to be super hard to see on camera there. Um, this one's marked to polystyrene. And that's something that's actually super useful for sorting them later on. If it's if it's not like immediately clear what material it is, uh, you can look at the part and you see, oh, it's polystyrene. Or some commercial parts also mm. have that recycling symbol on that that tells mm. you what type of material it is. It's especially important for those black parts because they can't be automatically sorted with the like IR equipment. Yeah, because black is, is charcoal black or, or suit yeah. black and that just absorbs everything. Yeah. Um, so why aren't we making spools uh, out of like those sorted recycled uh, 3D prints basically that people send in? That that could be an option, right? Because you, you don't care about like the printability mm. of a material. Printability mm. is even more finicky, more sensitive mm. than you know injection molding something, I would assume. Um, and like, you don't care about material properties either, because these mm. things are like way too, uh, way too strong for what they need to do anyways. Mm. Like, could that be something to do with that? Well, that, that definitely might, <clears throat> might be an option because I think that the, um, just processability for injection molding is easier. It's, it's not totally easy in the end but it's it's easier than um if you want to extrude filament at a certain diameter with a certain quality and, and things like that then needed to be printable yeah. in a in a fdm 3d printer which by yeah. itself is already a, a, a huge mess to deal yeah. with all the parameters i guess the big problem in the end is that it's way more expensive than buying horribly cheap polystyrene pellets um and having a a process that and having a process where you know that it just works because if you would like grind up uh, uh, 3d prints and and use them for injection molding 
it this will 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 definitely be more hassle than using virgin material and who who is paying for that in the end because yeah. if somebody sends their like 3d printing ways to a company they expect to get something in return but if the company that is doing that recycling and recycled spools is just paying more for the spool in the end does that make sense yeah i mean especially with with like shipping involved like that's mm. i i don't think in the end ecologically even that makes sense mm. um but yeah from the from the price perspective like this has you can see the mold has like indicators for polystyrene abs or san mm. what is that uh styrene something uh no i think it's not styrene based um that, that's the the material where lots of coffee machines or the the transparent things of coffee machines are made uh, of the something. uh also ah, no sorry it's styrene acronitrile resin okay so it's it's similar to abs um as they all are polystyrene abs uh, and all styrene based um polystyrene is is incredibly cheap um mm. So you can look up like bulk pellet or resin, as it's mm. called, uh, prices of just an octobin full of uh, polystyrene, mm. and you pay like two or three bucks per kilogram, mm. especially for polystyrene, which is yeah. super cheap. Uh, yeah. So a spool like this, you pay for your mold once, and you use one once that once that mold is paid off, like you pay what fifty cents for a spool like this, in in like production costs, and it's a machine that just works and works and works and there's no no labor involved and mm. like i said just the if you've uh, astro smoke is also asking like hey mm. why why aren't we using cardboard spools mm. which um to be fair a couple of companies are using uh protopasta comes to mind with their corrugated cardboard spools mm. uh who else a couple other companies are also using like um solid cardboard spools mm. But honestly, I, I've seen, I think it's in a video even, um, I've seen the way that Protopasta assemble those spools. They've got a, a hot glue setup um, basically right at the extruders uh, where they take the two halves and the center core and they glue mm -hmm. it together. Just that labor, I think, is already more expensive <laughs> than just buying a spool. Mm -hmm. So, it's it, yes, it would be better to use a cardboard spool for sure. Uh, it would be better to to use a recycled spool, but in the end, you know, it's it's capitalism. You you do whatever is the cheapest for you, and that's what sticks. Mm. Also, people people don't want to pay more for for stuff mm. most of the time. Yeah, and uh, I would need to compare the size, but I have the feeling that the the usual one kilogram cardboard spools they are bigger in the end. So I think the in, the inner diameter is a bit bigger, or they are wider. Um, Not, which also maybe well, adds depends, up in depends, storage or shipping. Depends which depends core probably on the, the material. I, th I think the protopasta spools even have a smaller core. Um, yeah. So I'm looking at one right now. It's it's approximately same size. Mm. There are more and more companies starting like um, well using cardboard spools. There is uh, Polymaker now with their polyterrafilament. Um, also, many other German vendors, um, 3, 3D jag material you get on, on cardboard spools and yeah. a couple of other ones as well. Uh, Prusa, they have only the injection molded outer parts and the internal um, cardboard core, which is at least for... Res 
I wouldn't say recycling, but but for disposable for disposing those, um, quite interesting because uh, they don't take up as much space and they save on on plastic yeah. as so, well. Like the the amount of plastic saved, it's like a two centimeters sliver in the center at best. Like it's the the two halves still reach in pretty far uh, over that that center cardboard element. Yeah. So. Uh, Though the um, the hex pattern, I don't know if that actually how much that actually saves, but I think that's also a consideration that they took into account that that might yeah. save some material. Yeah, but in in the end, um, usually companies that do filament extrusion, they don't also also want to do injection molding for for spools because that's just an additional process where they might not have yeah. the the machines for or the equipment for whatever. It's just cheaper buying them in bulk. Um, there are a couple of companies and I know, for example, 3DK Berlin, which is a also German Berlin based um, filament manufacturer. They, at least in the past, they used recycled PLA for their spools. Okay, that's that's pretty um, cool. I I think uh, the PLA was maybe taken uh, from just extruding filaments, so so the the transition parts, the the stuff that right. is in the extruder after you stop the machine. And I also talked to them a while ago, and the, I think there was one <sighs> yogurt manufacturer or something like that right, close by that, yeah. where where they um, had the possibility to get, I think, leftovers for the yogurt cups that they used. Uh, but again, not really for making the filament, but yeah. just for the, um, for the spools. The, 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 thing is, the thing is, if you use like industrial refuse or industrial leftovers, mm -hmm. uh, those materials are so pure, they would otherwise just go right back into uh, material production. Like uh, I think for polyesters in, in particular, there's always a significant amount of recycled materials in there because polyesters are just so great for recycling. Mm -hmm. um, that you know, if you use those basically perfect leftovers for spools and for other mm -hmm. like simple things and saying, oh, we've recycled them, it's just at another process you need more virgin material again. Um, mm -hmm. So it's not in the end, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Yeah. So yeah. I think I think the problem is just plastic is too cheap uh, yeah, for for cheap. for it to be for it to be viable to do anything else mm -hmm. to do recycling. I mean, even with our our um, German recycling system for like packaging plastics, most of the stuff is just getting burnt. Uh, it's just used mm -hmm. for fuel essentially. It's like you're burning. You, you've got an oil power plant essentially, um, <laughs> because it's not it's not economically viable to recycle. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Um, I, uh, what, what I also put in there is like, why not? Why not use a master spool? Um, yeah. Where you have master spool. I think that was like two, three years ago, where where that came up. I've got one mm. on the shelf over there, but I can't. I can't reach it. <laughs> um, basically, you have a. You don't buy filament on a spool. You buy filament as a compressed ring, and then you put that onto a three D printed or injection molded spool. And you reuse the spool. So you put mm. that on there. Um, you use up the filament, and then once you're done. You take the, the spool apart, you put a new uh, ring of filament in, and that's good again. Mm. Um, but, uh, I think with the correct expectations, that could be a system that works. And I'm seeing more and more company, more and more. Huh? I'm seeing a couple of companies actually adopt it. Um, Dust Filament yep. has always been great about uh, offering their stuff in master spool mm. format as well. Yep. Uh, what Chinese company did I see offering master spool? Yes. Uh, ones too. 
one I think one of San, San, San Lu or there, there were at least I, I also received a couple of emails about yeah we adopted the master spool yeah. my pr- so I really like to use the master spool for my most common materials yeah. where I use well for sorry for my most common colors where I know I use spool after spool after spool yeah. but if I have like filaments that I that I rarely use um it would in the end be almost a, a, be a waste of plastic because the master spool weighs more than an yeah. injection molded uh, well, spool that would be then kept on my shelf for ages. Well, I mean, the, the idea is you can take filament off of a master spool. Like you can put the zip ties back in and you can compress it but up. But then again. you have the zip ties again. Or, you well, you, you could use like reusable zip ties, but in the end... Um, but the, what, what I'm trying to get is you can't take it off the spool. It's supposedly you can, but it doesn't work. Like you never get it as tight again and it just keeps slopping yeah. around. And in the end, you take it off twice and the, the spool's just completely mangled in garbage. So you really need to, for, for stuff like you're saying, like black ABS or black PLA mm. or something, uh, perfect, perfect solution. And I wish it was more widely available. Mm. But for now, because it's cheap, we just have, we just have plastic spools. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they, I think there are some companies that, that take the spools back and you get like a 10 or 20 te- cent discount, um, as like, I think it's more or less a promo in the end, yeah. but you, you would need to send in a bunch of rolls, uh, to even make up the amount of money that it costs to ship them. So. I don't know. It's, it, I also feel kind of bad always when I throw those spools away because they don't, I think I, I would need to talk to somebody, uh, who, who knows that, but I think they are not supposed to go, for example, in the German Gelbisack system. Okay. I always talk because to them. Because they are there. no packing waste. Yeah. That's, but, but that's not because they can't be recycled there. That's because the manufacturer of those spools didn't pay for the for that recycling system to be used because it's technically not a packaging material whatever yeah <sighs> oh well so that's that's recycling of spools and stuff we've got one more recycling topic but first stefan why, why are you wearing a different shirt why am i wearing a different shirt? i actually ho- i actually hope that i'm wearing a different shirt <laughs> yeah it's kind of strange um we we might look a little bit different yeah usually we don't edit these podcasts much like that was the entire intent of not doing of of doing something that's more casual and doing something that's a bit less work for us where you can just hang out and chat but sometimes you have to edit if you record the wrong sponsor for a video (laughs) or for a podcast (laughs) uh so this video sponsor i I keep saying video this podcast this episode sponsor is actually jlc pcb um they're actually sponsoring next week's video on my channel as well and they allow you to order pcbs that you design yourself and you submit them they make the PCB itself and they also, this is actually the new one, they actually also populate them with the components you want. And that's something that I find incredibly fascinating because a couple of years ago, that was just not something you could do. You could order PCBs, sure, from uh, from a lot of companies. I'm not going to name any competitors here, but you could order PCBs for a while. But if you wanted something that had a couple of SMTs on there, that was impossible. You, you had to do through hole, uh, you had to, to like hot plate them yourself, which is a huge pain. And now we can just go in, uh, design something in Eagle and get them assembled. So Stefan, you've not done much 
in the terms of of you know ordering electronics and stuff right no it's still on my bucket list it's yeah now's now's the time really uh <laughs> it's, it's never it's literally never been easier than this um so i design my stuff in eagle uh, you can use KiCad, which is free and does pretty much all the the same stuff and it's just so nice for a project to but this is for the uh for the dc powerwall um 800 uh, no 800 uh, 384 cells uh connected to a pc and powering that while it's while the solar is off and being charged from the pc while that uh, while the solar is going um I literally couldn't do the project without having PCBs. Uh, so what this is, is basically a carrier for an ESP32. It's got a couple of DC-DC converters. It's got a plug-in uh, ADC because I be, want to be able to swap between different PCBs. Uh, that's the first revision, second revision. I don't want to like solder the expensive components to the board and then just have to throw them out. And these ordered from JLC PCB, these were, I think, like 65 bucks for five, which is... With the components, with the components on there. So um, this is this is our our talking points here. Uh, so you can, <laughs> from from JLC PCB, you can get uh, five PCBs for as low as two bucks plus shipping, which is like reasonable. Um, they offer mostly like FedEx and, and DHL shipping. So uh, reasonable shipping prices. The PCBs themselves cost two bucks. I mean, they are incredibly cheap to make. They don't charge for the SMT assembly. They only charge for the components that you use. Um, so they they work with. Uh, some some components um so they're basically a subsidiary of, of a huge component um distributor in china so you just pay for the components themselves um but one thing that i think is is really cool and that i've just retweeted yesterday basically the day after we said we were recording this podcast <laughs> is they also you can you can not just use pcbs for electronics you can also use them for other creative stuff so for example for faceplates um for like you know, electronics enclosures, you can just get a, you can make a PCB. These are fairly structural. These are glass fiber reinforced boards. Uh, you can custom make a faceplate. You can have any sort of routing shape in it. Um, you get the silkscreen print. You can do um, your, what's it called? Solder resist, um, which is another color. So you can do like three color um, print in any shape you want. And they've also got aluminum core PCBs now. So you can actually get something that's actually structural. Um, and I've seen that before, for example, with quad-cop, this way the entire frame is just a PCB. Mm. So that's something that interests you? It's perhaps? really interesting. How long does it take to, to get a PCB from like order to your home? So from order to completion, I think it's like three days. Um, you can like express order and you can get them shipped out within 24 hours, which is crazy. Um, but to get these to my home with like reasonably expensive shipping, shipping is a, a, a large part of what these cost. It's like eight to 10 days. Okay. Which is reasonable. Like you do a project and, um, you get them when you need them. You build everything else about the project and when you actually need the PCB, you have it. Really impressive. Yeah. I still on my bucket list need to wrap my head around if, uh, if you need any help, let me know. I will let you. Uh, I will let you know. And that is the sponsor spot for this video. Thank you to JLCPCB for sponsoring this video and uh, for sponsoring this pod. I'm, I'm I live in YouTube video world. Thank you JLCPCB <laughs> for sponsoring this episode. And now we're gonna get uh, dressed again into our regular clothes and continue with the episode. Yes.
sticking with the topic of of recycling and waste reduction, uh, you put you put one really interesting topic in there um, about the PET bot or the PET bot um, that is recycling plastic bottles. And again, we disclaimer: we already have systems for recycling plastic bottles. So, is that something we actually need? I don't know, but it's something that uses a really cool principle. And um, you may have seen those TikTok or Instagram videos before where it's like, oh, we're cutting up uh, this plastic bottle with like a little razor blade cutting tool mm. and we're making string out of it. And the PET bot is basically doing that. It's first it's cutting it into a string, cutting a plastic bottle into a string, and then it is remolding basically string pulling through a die that strip and it's a significantly it's, it's a chunky strip of plastic it's pulling that into a filament into an actual round piece of material that it can print with have have you ever done anything like that i have n well the problem in germany is that uh you have like the 25 cents deposit on all of the pet bottles so right. you return them um so there isn't that much uh pt bottle waste that uh, that i would have to to actually do that um and i think it's working really the best with those uh more or less one gallon jugs of of coke and right. things like that those really smooth bottles um no i have never done it but yeah it it the interesting process there is that they are taking that pet strip that they just yeah cut from the bottle and they feed it through a nozzle that is not heated all the way up i think to the melting temperature of the uh, yeah. polyethylene polyethylene triphalate is it yeah whatever um so as as tom said they are just remolding and, and giving that strip a different shape that it comes out in the form of a filament and um I think you can you can buy the system at uh, Precious Plastics on the Precious Plastics Bazaar um, for four hundred bucks, um, and it is supposed to work quite okay, uh, quite okay, and quite interesting. Um, and the, the filament seems to be printable afterwards. PET is by itself a material that is kind of nasty to print. And I think this is also the reason why we basically don't have PET filament um, for, for 3D printing around because it it, it really warps a lot. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just found the process really interesting. One question that I had is that you're basically limited uh, by the size of your bottle in the length of filament that you can right. extrude. Right. Well, I mean, you can always you can always weld some ends together, right? Um, yeah. So that, that's that's something that could be solved. Um, though what what I'm what I have thought previously about or in the past about um, when it comes to filament recycling, if you have something like a filler bot, which by design isn't really the most tightly controlled system, like it doesn't have a constant feed rate necessarily. Um, and it doesn't always make the best constant diameter filament. Could you take that filament and just pull it through a die? Could you like intentionally extrude for like two millimeters and pull it through a die that is 1.70 and you know have a bit of, of die swell with it and, and get perfect 1.75 millimeter uh, filament with that? I'm giving you future videos idea. You're welcome. Ideas. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> 
could you do that with a with a filament that is intentionally made for that process and get like spot on tolerances maybe but i think due to the well maybe friction and just back pressure in the system you are will also be stretching the material after it leaves the nozzle so i don't know how how good it really comes out in terms of diameter it's in the end it's just an additional step and the question is how he, how can you set up your like your initial system that you get a a more precise diameter out of it right. for example with with my old filler extruder um the filament diameter a diameter that i got out of the system was basically depending on having a really smooth and regular extrusion out of the nozzle and then the weight of the filament hanging down before it got wound up by the filler winder. Right. And um, since this is not a controlled system, um, the filament diameter does vary due to like temperatures, extrusion rate and things like that. Yeah, um, if you have ground up uh, plastic waste, basically you don't have a perfectly constant it's uh, horrible to work size. with. So, yeah. yeah. So the um, 3DVO composer that I now have, it has a closed loop system. So it also extrudes the material out that it comes out of a like um, a vertical nozzle. And then it's slightly cooled by a couple of fans. And then there is a puller wheel after that um, and the filament or a, a thickness sensor. And depending on the thickness of the extruded material, it um, adjusts the right. speed it, it pulls at very similar to uh, what is also used in uh, in industry but in industry you usually have those long water baths yeah um, where I, th I think you're able to get well where I'm quite sure that you're able to get your um, end diameter to uh, end diameter uh, end diameter <laughs> way more consistent uh, than with the system that I have but yeah, yeah for that you need a whole industrial hall and I have a desktop machine currently yeah. at my disposal obviously different uh, yeah. different starting situations yeah with the, with the big industrial ones you I guess there's so much mass thermal mass and also mm. melt mass in your in your extruder that you are just naturally getting a constant diameter and all you're correcting for is like getting the right diameter um, mm. So those little micro bumps where oh your 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 extruder motor kind of catches mm. on something and uh, mm. all of a sudden you have less flow you, you're not really worried mm. about that with a industrial scale machine. Mm. So yeah, but so yeah, check check out the padbot if if you're interested. Um, in the end, the question is if if it's worth the four hundred or five hundred bucks. Um, to extrude like small samples of, yeah. of material out of your pet bottles. It's an interesting idea. I think it's worth, worth mentioning it. Um, it probably w won't save humanity uh, right now, but who knows? Yeah, and, and like you said, for, for us in Germany and, and most of Europe, actually, it's just not viable to, to do mm. um, because essentially you're paying 25 cents, euro cents for a 50 how much uh, how, how heavy are those like one and a half liter water bottles 50 grams maybe less i yeah. think it's yeah so in the end that is quite uh quite the price you're paying for <laughs> for getting mm. the the raw material mm. 
Um, and then another recycling process that I think we're just going to briefly touch on is, um, well, we're now recycling, apparently, <laughs> or we, somebody's now recycling uh, wind turbine blades into fiber reinforced PLA. So, yeah, wind turbine blades, always a, a point of contention is like, hey, what do you do with them once they're, their lifetime's over? Because they are a composite material that has either carbon or glass fibers in them. And, you know, carbon fiber parts are naturally not that great to recycle because you can't melt them down. You can't, you know, reshape them into something that is now the, the shape you want because it's it's a thermoset or a chemically set um, binder that encases those fibers. You can't get the fibers out. You mm. can't get the, the binder into a material that is reusable again at least with current technology. So mm. what's left to do is you, you grind it down and you downcycle it in the end. Mm. Um, so big, big application is just concrete filler. <laughs> you, yeah. you just you just dump it into concrete and that's that. That's the end of it. Um, but with, who is it? Uh, engineers at the Canadian McGill University and Ryerson University. Um, they're now grinding it down and putting it into PLA with yep. a 10% fill and supposedly it is helping the stiffness actually a lot mm -hmm. 70% stiffness increases what they're saying and anything about any any particular numbers about yield strength or tensile strength I think I have I have taken a look at the paper but I but I can't remember um, okay. they're saying it, it improves it at least yeah um, so what I think what they tried is uh, they were using the glass fiber reinforced. I think you said carbon fiber. Um, Either yeah. one, same same thing in the end. S same thing. Um, they have been just grinding up the turbine blades, so you get basically a mixture of um, like chopped glass fibers and the remains of the resin, and put that into PLA. But they also pyrolyzed uh, the blades so they just burned them and and took the the ashes where supposedly um, a lot of the fibers still remained intact in there and also put uh, that into uh, just yeah version PLA and um, with both methods they have seen quite a significant improve in in stiffness as as you would always think if you put uh, fibers um, in a material um, yeah it is an interesting application so i don't know the amount of um old um turbine blades that we have compared to the the small amount of maybe the uh yeah. the carbon or not carbon fiber glass fiber pla that uh, we we currently need uh, is is a bit disproportionate um but yeah it is at least uh recycling or down is it is it recycling is it downcycling it's, is it's it downcycling in this case because it's, it's you, you're chopping down the fibers you're creating a material yeah. that is less performant than the original one mm. yeah and so, yeah. we, we the, briefly for, talked about that sorry please uh, continue just the just just a quick note before you go on uh the the amount of wind turbine blade material that is just there to be recycled or to be done something with is in the range of megatons per year so yeah. possibly a bit more than what 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 the total PLA consumption is even even is right <laughs> probably okay uh, the interesting thing what what I asked myself was yeah you downcycled the 
hard to recyclable um, glass fiber reinforced blades into glass fiber reinforced PLA. But those glass fibers, and even if you don't uh, pyrolyze the material, if you just put the, the, the shredded stuff into PLA, they basically make your PLA not biodegradable and yeah. not recyclable anymore. Yeah, because uh, like like we just talked about it in an earlier topic, like what uh, you, you need to make sure your uh, your PLA is uh, Swatnerein is it's not contaminated with other plastics and a glass fiber stuff, uh, glass fiber reinforced mm. uh, PLA would contaminate that for recycling. Though, again, uh, recycling PLA and PLA prints isn't that big of a topic at this point yet. So I mean, it's it's all going to the dump essentially, mm. right? Yeah, but I, I think the, the, the big green, I, it, it's partly greenwashing, but the big topic about, uh, why PLA is so great is that it's biodegradable. And with that filler in there, well, yeah, the PLA is still biodegradable, but what remains is the glass fibers and yeah. the epoxy resin. So, um, would make, it would make it maybe a, a a bit of a better mechanical material, but um, everything else is maybe worse. I don't know. Well, the question is what the alternative for those uh, uh, blades would have been. Yeah. Well, chopping them down and putting them into into concrete that just shifts the problem like fifty or a hundred years into the future. Yeah. Hmm. Well. Uh, well, I mean, wood-based wood, uh, uh, turbine blades would be nice. I, I, <laughs> I think there are actually companies working on that. Uh, wood, I think, is, is, a, is a superiorly mm. underrated material for a lot of these engineering applications mm. because it is essentially I, a natural fiber-reinforced material, right? Mm. Yeah. It just has problems with, like, uh, being able, able to cope with, moisture and and other things that well, you, can, yeah. you can seal it right yeah but this, this right this, this might be something there is still a lot of work to do um there is there is i guess one, one of the I solutions guess. would be just use less energy even even if it's even if it's uh, green energy there is always a uh, a certain amount of emissions and waste etc attached to that energy so just use less of it mm but since we all want to get like carbon carbon neutral in the future uh and we want to get rid of our uh, charcoal is it char charcoal Char charcoals uh, are, our, is, is our, the nice our, stuff that's made from wood but yeah our coal <laughs> uh, power plants uh we we somehow need to uh generate the energy and uh if you take a look at our energy mix yeah there there is of course solar but um i think uh yeah wind power is also uh taken yeah. up a significant amount there so it is it is a lot better than burning anything that's fossil i mean that's that's absolutely out of the question but it's still <laughs> like it's not zero hmm. oh. all right i i guess that's enough uh recycling topics for today do we have or we do just, we still have one <laughs> let's just look up to the no we're, we're done with recycling we're actually done with recycling for today um how uh, can i can i spin a segue to this next one nah nah not really not really uh murph well murph yeah murph, murph. well murph happened 
last weekend. Uh, you weren't there. I wasn't there. Uh, I saw a couple pictures. I was in Italy uh, helping my dad move, so I, I didn't really get... I, I didn't catch much of what was happening there. Um, and I guess neither one of us could even have attended if we wanted to. I made the choice of mm-hmm. not gonna try at all, so I haven't looked into this, but apparently the US still has immigration restrictions uh, for folks the from Schengen the, area. From the, yeah, Schengen area from, from the EU, essentially. I guess you could circumvent that by first traveling to another country and staying there for two weeks and then going to the US if you wanted to. Like have yes. a two-week uh, vacation somewhere. I don't know, in Ireland? I no. Yeah, I, I heard of a, a, an ex-colleague of mine who uh, just got retired and wanted to visit his, I think, daughter in the US. And they first flew to, um, I think, Panama or some other middle America country had an, a nice stay there at, at the beach and then flew to uh, the US and that's possible. But I think currently you're still not able to get to the US. Even uh, for business. I mean, if it's like for private vacation, I, I, I can understand that. But even business mm-hmm. trips are completely out mm-hmm. of the question. Which is really crazy because that ban started... I think 14 or 15 months ago. Really? Yeah, it was it was just before Murph would have happened last year. Okay. And I, Murph is in March was in March 2020, I think. April. Something like that. last year, but yeah. And now it's now it's July, so yeah, more than 12 months, which is kind of crazy if you think about that um that we are still at the point where we well, I are not yet able to go anywhere we would like something that at least from Europe or, or like any other free ca- country you would have imagined in the past that something like that oh, could did, happen. Did you, did you just call the US not a free country? Oh, no, I, I, nice there. <laughs> since, since it's fourth of, since it is the fourth of July, of course, America is the freest of countries. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, we'll we'll see how things go. Yeah, did, did we did we talk about the um, the announcement of of Earth versus Murph? Did we talk about that last time? So no, we did not. Okay, so let's just touch on that briefly because um, it was th- that that was an announcement just like two or one day from each other um, when mm. Murph posted or when when there was some news that yeah, Murph's going to happen and we're going to tolerate mask use. Um, and then the day after that, Earth was like, well, dudes, uh, like, look, uh, I don't think or we don't think this is the correct time to have an, an international or possibly international mm-hmm. event uh, for 3D printing enthusiasts. Like, we're just going to call it off for this year and we're going to try again next year. We would have liked to put it on, but it's just not reasonable to do so. It is astounding how different uh, the approaches there are um, between Murph and Earth. And yeah, I, I I do respect her for for the decision to to call it off for this year, very much so. As much as I would have liked to be there, and as much as I was sad when I have seen at least some of the coverage of Murph, I think I would still not be comfortable just like being in in a big crowd of people. My my wife yesterday night was. For ages again in, in, in a restaurant at night with a couple of friends of hers. And she said it was so strange because they were sitting inside because it was rain, raining outside. But 
it it felt in there like before COVID, everything was totally yeah. crowded, no distance between tables and things like that. It's currently possible in in Germany since there aren't that many cases and many are vaccinated, but it still really feels really hard. really weird. Yeah, I was I was in a restaurant in, in Italy. Uh, we were sitting outside, and there was some some distance happening. Mm. Uh, waiter was wearing a mask properly and stuff, yeah. but still, I was like, "Whoa, hold on! I've not been in a restaurant for for probably two years. This is wow. <laughs> this is odd." Yeah. yeah um, it, it. I guess that the U.S. has. Uh, it, it's understandable that that there's a feeling of oh yeah, this entire thing's over because they have fairly high vaccination rates. Uh, but that's not the situation everywhere, and with Delta mm -hmm. coming along and uh, like the possibly the, the the vaccines that are not mRNA based not being that effective against that, it's I I'd rather be cautious and saying hey mm -hmm. this is you know maybe we shouldn't treat this as it being completely over yeah. yet. But yeah, that was Murph. Um, what I actually wanted to talk about was the launch uh, of the kick of the kick Kickstarter uh, side bot. No, the the, the load spot uh, sidekick, um, which is finally a, a new a new printer from uh, from Loadspot. Loadspot have been I don't know they they've not really had it a, a truly new machine for a while. They've had the Taz, they've mm. had the uh, the Loadspot Mini. And those essentially stayed the same printer for five years, four years. I don't know when the when the mm. Taz came out, but I have a I have an original Mini that still very much looks like what the Mini is today. It doesn't have the screen or anything, but mm. it is what it is. Um, and they now have the Sidekick series of printers, which is, I mean, I appreciate that it's that it's finally new something uh, that it's finally something new. Um, uh, but there's been a bit of a, a communications mishap i guess um so the sidekick originally was announced as being expected to be as low as 750 dollars for a six and a half inch uh, model what they're calling the 289 because it's what one point something liters of volume um so the 289 was expected to be as low as 750 dollars and turns out it is actually 700 and it's it's nearly $800. Let me do the configure mm -hmm. now. You can't actually configure the larger one, but it is 795 plus tax, obviously, in the US as it's, as it's common. Um, but for 795, you're not getting a 3D printer. For 795, you're getting a, a bed and a motion system. Um, you do have to add on top of that a tool head. Um, because they're saying, okay, for users with existing Loadspot tool heads, apparently it's still compatible with the existing swapping system. Mm -hmm. um, so if you already have a Loadspot and you just want the new motion platform, you can do that. But a tool head costs another $195 on top of that for a 1.75 millimeter uh, tool head. So let me just add that. Um, the Sidekick still comes with a glass and PI sticker system, which is what they've been doing for a while. But it's just not it's just not up to date anymore so if you want a standard magnetic flex plate that's another 30 bucks uh if you want an lcd screen on your printer which is the standard well graphic lcd um that's another 125 dollars filament sensor yeah let's add that for 20 bucks um no extended warranty for 600 bucks thank you very much you come up to 1165 
dollars for a printer that you would consider a printer like you get you know a modern printer that's that's got a flex plate mm-hmm. yeah, a flex plate 30 bucks so whatever but you have a screen printer without a screen when's the last time you saw a 3d printer without a screen that wasn't like a, a 100 dollar um you know special application cheapo thing uh and a tool that you're, you're at 11.65 which isn't that bad to be honest like I've, I've seen people complain that oh yeah it's it's so much more expensive than announced and it is a lot more expensive than announced for an actual 3d printer but it's all right though again you compare that against the prusa which is a thousand bucks it's larger and is possibly a i, I mean i've not used the this, the task site i've not seen it even possibly a better printer overall better better ecosystem i don't know um it's a tough sell i mean the the task 747 um is not that much more expensive than the smaller one so i think that's the one that people will be going for but yeah it's it seems to be a bit different and um it's been called a bait and switch which maybe yeah if you don't include a tool with your 3d printer that's that that can be mm-hmm. called out um it is it is certainly significantly less expensive than what the low spot machines have been in the past because what the i think the mini was like 750 as well roughly and it's a six the mini two is 1500 1500 okay then I, I I do I do have that. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I misremember that. Sorry. So the Mini Two is fifteen hundred. Um, so it is a significantly less mm. pricey system, even once you add those bits on. Yeah. And with Loadspot, obviously targeting a specific market that is in the US, specifically like schools and stuff uh, that need a a product that is, as far as I know, just directly available in the US. Um, mm-hmm. That can make sense for for those sort of of customers. It's probably yeah. not something that you would buy as a just a consumer, as somebody who's into 3D printing. There are many alternatives. And I was just asking myself, what are the unique selling points of the Lull Spot besides made in the US? Made in the US, available directly from a US uh, company. That apparently but, is a is a requirement again for schools and stuff. Yeah. How how does that actually compare to the um from matter hackers the pulse because the the pulse because that's basically an, a mark three yeah and the, the matter hackers machine is also going for that market for for being into yeah going into education um cool. let me see 8-bit board i don't know what the low spot runs possibly 8-bit um no screen let me get a standard screen on here e3d light six yeah it's a so the poles being a 20 centimeter eight inch machine um a pulse is is less expensive yeah no no doubt i've i've i i was already (laughs) quite quite excited and interested to see that the lol spot machine uh they charge 130 bucks for just a an old like a dot matrix LED screen, yeah. uh, LCD screen. Um, for the Pulse 3D printer, if you want to have the 32-bit board instead of the 8-bit board, it's 400 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I, why? I, I don't see that. Well, probably they want to get rid of the old stock of their, their old bots that they're still having, but 
400 bucks for an upgrade to a 32-bit board, which probably won't even show in print quality or something else. Yeah, no. Is... Yeah, because I don't, I don't know, know if, if, I don't know if are. there are extra features in the 30-bit one, so yeah. I guess we, yeah. Um, and also the 8-bit board should be more expensive uh, to buy than the 32-bit one because just the processor is, is a couple bucks cheaper, so. Well, try to buy an SDM32 at the moment. Well, true. <laughs> so I guess, I guess they're factoring that in as well. Yeah, maybe at the moment. Having, having, to, buy um, scalper, having to pay scalper prices. Yeah. Yeah. So... It's probably a good point that you're mentioning that they're, well, not directly targeting makers just due to the, the price point. Um, it's communication has been quite interesting. What I was also, uh, excited to see that, uh, I, I think all of the old machines were three millimeter or 2.85 millimeter filament. The low spot ones, yes. But I, I would assume with the swappable tool head, um, the you could just put a 1.75 millimeter one on there. I think that's mm. that's the point of having a swappable tool head. No, okay. Nobody's nobody's uh, gonna notice that I that I edited and screwed up the recording, right? <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, <laughs> maybe talking about swappable tool heads. How does the the lull spot system work? Because you've been taking a look at the um m- m- yeah uh, the m- m- the the um yeah. Wembam mutant mutant yes exactly uh the Wembam mutant system i just recently got my mutant version 2 system um or at least kit uh but i don't know how how does the the, the, the low spot system work is it a similar no system where you okay let me, let me see if we can find anything out of, about them on the website here so it appears yeah, so it's not a it's not a click system, but it's one that you can take off with a couple of screws. I think okay. I think it's it's still the same system as it's as it's been on the Taz, which I have reviewed. And that is a that's a fairly simple uh, swapping system. Not okay. not slide in and it clicks into place, but a okay. couple of screws from the back and the entire thing just comes off. Okay. Yeah, that's 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 kind of nice. The question in the end is always how often do you do that? But what I find interesting, and this is also maybe one of the unique selling points of um, the new Sidekick, is that you have it configurable in in a way that you can't really configure many, many other machines just right out of the box because you can get it with different extruders, different filament diameters, different nozzle sizes and things like that, which... Yeah, makes it maybe possible to more tailor it to the applications you intend to use it for. True, though. I mean, let me just do the uh, Psychic 289 again. Um, yeah, so there, there are a couple options for um, for toolheads. I think that's where most of the customization is happening. Um, you can get a carbide coated copper nozzle nickel plated copper you can get your standard brass uh, info uh, info read more info you can get your standard brass option um that's where most of the com- uh, customization is happening but the other options like hey do i want glass or do i want a flex plate like that's a no-brainer do i want a screen or do i want no screen that's also a no-brainer uh filament runout sensor yeah for 20 bucks i'll just add this on this is mostly like you know, adding the necessities to um, 
to 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 your machine mm. i think be, before we started you compared this to like doing the starting from uh with like uh, cars mm. and stuff it's like yo do i actually do i do i just want the standard um text-based screen in the center console or do i want the color screen that does android auto and apple carplay like that's <laughs> a no-brainer to get like you're going to ruin your resale value for your car yeah. and also your usability is going to be way way worse um so i think all the options that you have which is the magnetic plate, um, the LCD controller, and the filament sensor. Either they are so cheap that they're no-brainers to get, or they're actually necessary to run mm. the printer as people would typically use the printer. So, yeah, mm. customer customization, customizability is mostly getting different nozzles. Yeah. Though I gotta say, Prusa is also for the Prusa Mini selling the filament sensor as a twenty bucks add-on. So, it, it's yeah. it's not only like uh lulzbots that uh, who, who are doing that also well prusha True. kind of and tries to get the base price down by not including a filament runout sensor in their standard configuration and i did tease prusha about that when they first announced it and people like still give me shit about say you're being so mean to prusha and i'm like <laughs> dude like come on you, don't 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 charge for it. like sure it's marketing obviously it's it's a starting from it's a lower price but if you really want yeah. the printer to be a printer and you don't just want like the cheapest possible dacia mm. sandero or whatever <laughs> then then you kind of have to add those options on right yeah so yeah that's the new printer from Lowspot. um I don't know. Maybe. maybe have have we heard anything from um, from the printer bot? Oh, um, um, I'm bad with names. So are you? Apparently, I'm, I'm horribly bad Brooke with Drum. names. From Brook Drum. Um, um, there, about so, his. So, from what I understand, it's not just Brook. It's a, it's a team of three folks now. Yeah. I think we've talked about it a while ago, but I don't yeah, remember the did. details. I, I, I just thought about if there has been any news on, on that printer, which has the nice uh, or interesting kinematics. I have not seen anything about that. Okay. So maybe. maybe we need to check on that for uh, the next podcast. Well, if, if there are any news, I mean, yeah. it doesn't look like there's anything to talk about right now well they, they had their they had their kickstarter was it on kickstarter i think it was on kickstarter oh, when you go I, I, I forget it's been a while yeah they had their campaign so maybe there are some some updates there anyways yeah let's try and tackle this last big topic here i think so we, we, we still we still have the end of seven yeah. in here and well it's another cheap printer whatever um it's, it's not that cheap it's 700 bucks but yeah let's let's talk about the ender 7 next it's like another next cheap time. printer that's sold for for more let's talk about this other one though <laughs> uh shit the box pro has launched um so a bit of a, <laughs> that sounded weird bit of a bit of a backstory to uh shitu so they if, if you look at basically any low-cost SLA or resin, LCD resin printer, let's, let's call them by the correct names. If you look at any low-cost LCD resin printers, they're all pretty much the same. 
right it's no coincidence that they're all like using the same size what is it roughly six inch screen that the interface mm. looks similar and they're all using uh shit the box as a slicer because they are all the same um the core hardware is all supplied actually by shitu who make uh the mainboard who make the slicer also supply the LCDs as far as, as I'm aware. Um, they make the interface that runs on those boards. They make the firmware. Um, they may even supply the LCD screen that's um, your, your touchscreen that you, that you interact with the printer on. So it's all a very, it's a very simple system for manufacturers to make or to get into the markets of making an LCD printer. So all they, they, they buy the Shi2 uh, ecosystem, the, the, the platform basically. They add a Z-axis, they add a VAT, they add an LED, and an enclosure around that. And those aren't like hard problems to solve. All the more, all the other problems that companies would actually need to put engineering power into have been solved by Shitu, and they just buy the, the, the complete package. Now, obviously, that gives Shitu a lot of power over the market and over the stuff that everyone uses, because essentially, uh, it's it's a more or less it's not that locked down but it could be a very locked down ecosystem so that's where we get to sheet box pro so far there's only been one version of uh sheet box that you could use or that you would use with your printers um and that is the regular sheet box but there's always been that that little notes of hey we're gonna launch sheet box pro at some point and you know when when something's called pro and it's a separate product like there's a Obviously, that's going to be a paid product. Um, and from what I've seen, Stefan, you've you've looked into uh, Uncle Jesse's video a bit. Um, there's stuff around supports um, that only Sheetabox Pro does right now, um, that the regular version does not do anymore. So, what have have you have you looked into what the actual differences are between the two versions? Um, no, I have. Not, but yeah, as it looks okay. like that, uh, it's it's a part of the support structure capabilities right. that 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 change between the two different versions. In the end, it kind of doesn't matter what what the feature difference is right now. Um, what kind of matters is how much they can still do and how much they can still put behind a paywall. Because theoretically, in the future, like you don't know what base sheet the box is going to be able to do. Um, any feature that's in there right now could be put behind a paywall at some point, whether that's a one-time purchase of Sheetabox Pro or whether that's a subscription service, as we've seen so often, um, because Sheetu have control. Like uh, they're using a proprietary format already, which right now still can be converted into with uh, slices from Prusa Slicer or with uh, Lychee Slicer, which is also a two-tier product that has a $5 okay. a month subscription if you want the pro version. Um, but right now, those two tools can still slice for she to printers, such as like the Mars DNA Cubic Machines, the Creality SLA printers, all of those. Um, you can create custom files for that. But it's already a proprietary firmware. Uh, firmware. It's already a proprietary format. It's a lockdown firmware, more or less. And we don't know if with a future firmware update or with a future firmware version that ships with new printers released from here on out, that support is going to be taken away because the CTB format gains uh, signing or gets encrypted or whatever other means that would not allow external G-code that was not generated in Sheetabox to be used. 
So that that's something that that Sheep2 can very easily implement. So I, I, I guess I guess the the question is like you know is this something that should worry you? I guess with the printers right now, as long as you don't intend on, on updating the firmware ever, and as long as you have a, a Sheep2 version that works for you, and as long as you can still use it, and that doesn't have like a, a an expiry date set on it, which we don't know. I guess you 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 buy the printer, you you get to use it as it is, but that just just that direction of development is kind of worrying. It it is worrying, but like from a commercial perspective, it's it's oh yeah, absolutely kind of logical because in the end, you need to earn money some way. Of course, she to um cash flow yeah <laughs> of course she too they they have their cash flow when they sell their hardware but um if you want to have like continuous support especially software and 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 um new updates it's kind of logical to at some point start charging for more professional features i think we are kind of not really used to that due to the FDM 3D printing world. Well, in the end, um, think three, four, five years back. If you wanted to get proper support structure, you bought Simplify 3D. Yeah. Um, and I think something similar might also happen with uh, resin printing at some point that if you are not buying like recent software with more pro features, um, the the workflow might not be as easy as it would be with yeah. that, that that software. So do do you mean it's it's similar to Simplify Three, as in the company suddenly stops supporting their product and and goes under, or <laughs> which which direction no, do you I, mean? That? <laughs> oh, I'm just I, I think I, that, I, I know that, what that, you mean. Yeah, no. Um, well, Simplify Three, they had or they do have kind of the problem that their software was a one-time purchase so they had cash flow yeah. a couple of years back but nowadays i think the only the only or the main amount of sales for simplify 3d that they are having is just the professional 3d printing market yeah that don't but ship that basically all of them ship ship with simplify 3d i don't exactly understand why but that's yeah, we've, I we've the discussed case. that before yeah we've discussed had uh, discussed it in the past but the thing is um they have that cash flow problem and um i think at some point it a a, a software company well g2box they also make the hardware but if you for example i think take a look at, at lychee slicer uh, if they are a, a software company, at some point they need to have cash flow, so they need to charge for their software. And um, I think this is kind of logical. And I think it is also to the point, up to the point, okay, as long as Cheeto says that their machines or that their hardware can also be fed or with a non-proprietary format, because yeah. That gives everyone the opportunity of choice. They can use a free slicer, which might be more work, might have less features and things like that, but might be totally okay for somebody who doesn't do that on a professional level. But if you want to go pro, uh, 
Yeah. If you want to go pro, you gotta spend some money. And, and I Look, think I, that it this is okay up to some point. Yeah, I, I see that. And the, the thing is with with software, especially, it's always been that way that, that there needs to be like a some sort of cash flow happening, some some sort of recurring purchase uh, by the user. Um, for example, like Photoshop, um, you could buy the software, not anymore, obviously, but in the early days, you could buy the software once and you could use it as long as you wanted to. And then, you know, if you, if there was a new version that came out and you, you like the features, you've upgraded and you bought it again or you bought an upgrade license or something. And that's where, where cash flow comes in. I do have kind of a problem with like subscription-based services such as Creative Cloud now with Adobe um, mm. because it means they can keep charging for the software continuously even if there is zero development happening. Like yeah. at this point, Adobe can just charge all the people that, that are locked into Creative Cloud basically because they know it and their, their files are in that format and they don't have to develop anything new. They can reduce the development pace by I don't know how much um, and get away with it essentially because as soon as people start paying, they can't use the software anymore and they can't do their work anymore. So yeah, even though like a, a one-time purchase might be painful at the beginning, it's like, well, at least you're incentivizing the, the, the software maker to actually keep improving the software so that they keep getting more money or, or keep getting a, a continuous cash flow for that. Um, so I don't know, uh, what is the what is the Sheet2Box Pro? I, I just know that it comes with the Mars 3 um, if you buy the printer outright. Is that a subscription or is that a one-time purchase if you want to get it separately? Buy now, let me see. It is 170 bucks uh, for a one-year subscription. Ha, so it is a continuous subscription. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I have to sign in to actually get, the, uh, get to the pricing yeah. page. So it is a subscription. Well, 170 bucks? 170 bucks. Holy shit, that's a whole that's that's an entire LCD printer. Yeah. That's uh, crazy. If you're using those machines in a professional environment, that's that's the standard um for like a maker, I think it's just way too much. It's like for Let me let me see. So the the, the Mars 3 does that come with a perpetual license? Because it says it comes with with Sheetsbox Pro, but is that is that just like a, a one year trial or something? Uh, Pro for free, no need to pay for it. Well, twelve months software license. Okay, okay. It's it's in one of the one of the photos here. Like in PM Eligu official on Facebook at Sheetsbox Pro license twelve months. So. Honestly, that's how much making... is the printer? So the Mars Three is three hundred bucks. Okay. Honestly, that is making the the Prusa SL1S look cheap. <laughs> <laughs> if, you know, if if you if you want all the features, oh, you have this hundred and seventy dollar a year subscription. Holy shit! Um, like honestly, that's. <sighs> Sure, it's it's if if you just want to try out the printer, it's fine. I mean, obviously, you can still use it with the regular sheet of box, uh, mm. basic as they're calling it. But it 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 just it just reinforces that 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 argument that I made with uh, Simplify 3D back then when they were kind of screwing up. It's like 
take that money you're, you're paying for your proprietary software and donate it to a to an open source alternative and look at where it'd be in a year or two with with the development mm. effort um I, I i'm not that much sorry continue i i i know stuff like um like FreeCAD isn't at that point yet um, where they might be able to make full use of extra funding, but just the improvements that that has made, um, I, I see potential there. If everyone, if everyone who was paying for Fusion 360 <laughs> was actually investing that into FreeCAD, wow, would we have one hell of a tool uh, at our disposal for free. And once the, sorry, once that company goes under, such as Simplify 3D, you don't lose all that investment. You now have something open source that others can build on top mm. of, such as w- was the case with uh, Slick Through and the transition to Prusa Slicer being kind of the mainline uh, of that. Prusa took, yeah. took Slick Through Slicer as a uh, as a baseline and built their own product on top of that, and it's still open source, and everyone can, everyone can still use it. <sighs> Are I, I'm not that much in in. Well, in the resin market, are there any other open source SLAs, DLP slicers out there besides like Prusa Slicer? I'm not aware of them, but there, there probably are. Okay. Because it's, it's not, I mean, support generation is like the hardest part. Uh, you, you could even do that in Mesh Mixer if, if yeah. that would be the problem, but just, just slicing parts for trivial sla or dlp or or especially for dlp printing is is way easier than for fdm because you just send uh, a picture to the printer instead of you have to calculate the whole print pass you basically have a full sl or a full lcd uh, resin slicing path in every single um fdm slicer because the the first thing the fdm slicer Mm. does is it slices it literally slices your parts Mm. uh into slices and that is what you send you then send to the uh to the lcd resin printer so i'm I'm sure there are alternatives but like (sighs) yeah so also also like again with the with the lock-in factor um she to now have a real cash incentive to lock people into using Mm. just sheet box yeah. into into making it impossible to use something else there is a real incentive there now well the question is if they would switch to a proprietary format um would this be an incentive for th- like 3d printing 3d printer manu- manufacturing companies what else that's is the problem there? because it's they the, have yeah it's the the microsoft kind of the microsoft what is it embrace uh, there's more ease but it ends with extinct uh, extinguish um yeah they've basically pushed everyone out of out of the market um by being so cheap and so universal and so accessible so easy to use for the manufacturers mm-hmm. and now there's no real alternative i'm sure there's going to be one if if there's customer demand but is there going to be customer demand is that going to be such a big issue that you know we can only use this one software mm-hmm. if the software kind of does what you want to I don't know. We'll see. If it's cheap, people are going to buy it. Yeah. And the thing is, if you get the uh, pro version for a year, um, you not directly realize how maybe restrained you would be when you don't have that pro license anymore. And then after a year, paying 170 bucks just to get your like old workflow going. Just is to keep using your product. 
as you as you were well yeah. if they still have a, a base version okay that's fine but if you're just used to a workflow and used to uh, features it might be hard to switching to a really bare bones software yeah. on the other hand it in their defense um if that subscription money is used to further develop the slicer add new features add new just ease of life features all right i can in a way understand that if but it's that's just, it's just too much it's just too much sorry like 170 bucks like how is that justifiable when the, when the whole machine costs not that much more no it's it's that it's that typical hey is this more than netflix and I, I don't know how much Netflix is. I don't, I don't pay for Netflix. But uh, is this uh, like five bucks a month? Sure. I guess that, that that would be something that could be argued for. Though, honestly, if you're paying for the full printer within three or four years, um, like five bucks a month or, or $3.99 or something. That, I, yeah. I think that would be appropriate and, and not worth of much much discussion. But uh, it's it's over 10 bucks a month. And that's, it's just too much. Okay. So we'll is, see. I, I, I really hope to get back into resin printing since, since I built myself kind of a fume hood downstairs. So mm, nice. ma maybe I have the chance to try out different, uh, uh, MSLA slicers just to see what the alternatives are and what, how, how locked into that system you might become at some point. Yeah. Um, and I will probably be getting a Mars 3 at some point, so I can check that out with the included uh, shitbox license. Yeah. All right. All right. And I guess that, that, that also answers the next question that we, that we would have answered um, from yeah. Joe Himes. What would be... So we're, we're in the, the Q&A section now. Uh, what would be your go-to printer for reproducing tolerance and accuracy? And... I guess that question asks, hey, which filament printer would you choose? But I think we both had the same answer there. Don't use a filament printer. Go go with, L go with LCD uh, or, or SLA mm. for reproducible tolerance and accuracy because those are hard to beat. Those are really hard to beat. We, we got... <laughs> Maybe to talk about our, our sponsor again. So we got, uh, a, a presentation, uh, on, on their resins and what they are, for example, doing. They are scanning their 3D prints. Uh, they are scanning 3D prints with, with different resins after the, the printing process to, um, determine the amount of shrinking those materials have. And it's interesting to see that, like, from your CAD part to the final part, if you have, the right resin and the right process and also the right printer um that you can get tolerances up to like a hundred of a millimeter yeah well, easily if, if the resolution of your printer plays along that's yeah that's i guess the, the ask is there but one 100 but that's resolution and accuracy or reproducibility and accuracy right. are two different things right if it's just reproducibility yeah. sure yeah. sure um, so, but if you're only in the market for FDM 3D printing, what would be the, like the features or the the things that you would look for if you would look for a printer that can is 
can uh, print reproducible but also accurate. Maybe for once, print slow. <laughs> That's like the universal answer to everything, I guess. Uh, print slow, yeah. Um, I would have said get a printer that has a good software package uh, attached to it, such as uh, Cura and an Ultimaker or Prusa Slicer and a Prusa Mark Three Two. No, uh, Mark Three S or Prusa Mini or something like that, hmm. um, because in the software is is where you're going to get most of your well, reproducibility, reliability, print quality out of with today's printers. The hardware in today's printers is all pretty good and pretty capable. Like you can get good prints out of most stuff. Um, but if the software and especially the settings in that software is not up to to spec or up to up to the test, then you're not going to make use of that hardware at all. Hmm. I think stiff motion system. Um, I think even with the these slot rails and and V rollers, you can get really good results if you want to get even like just one one level better linear rails because they even have less slop and should yeah. run even smoother. A print head that is not like flopping around in the breeze, um, but most printers nowadays. If you assemble them correctly and have everything properly tightened up and the belts tightened up, are able to print quite accurate to the yeah to the level of what the process itself is capable of. Because at the end of the exactly. day, you're still squeezing out a, a semi molten line of filament of plastic yeah. uh, onto other maybe not completely solid lines of filament mm. yet, and that that has some inherent shortcomings in, in mm. what sort of shapes it can reproduce and, and how accurately and accuracy versus precision yeah <laughs> uh, mm. how well it can reproduce those shapes so yeah um, yeah so maybe a direct extruder would also be more suitable than a, a Bowden system because it has like less springiness in it though if, maybe. if, it's, if it's specifically about reproducible like most printers are, are going to produce the same part in almost exactly the mm. same fashion every time you hit print mm. if you print the same g-code so reproducibility i think is is, is just a given on, on most machines mm. yeah maybe one last thing materials because if you want to have accurate parts um shrinking of polymers might like ruin quite a lot um, which means that if you're printing a part out of ABS, the accuracy is usually better if you don't sometimes scale the part, but the scaling is, is often not really linear and, and it gets more and more complicated. Um, just printing out of PLA might give you like the most accurate results because it basically shrinks the least. If you want to get, um, Higher grade polymers that tend to shrink more like nylon, ABS, PC, and things like that. The carbon fiber reinforced, ver carbon fiber reinforced variants, uh, might also be interesting for you because the carbon fibers or all fibers that are, um, included in that, um, will help you with reducing the amount of shrinking and also maybe help 
with accuracy. And if you have like a good quality filament in the first place that where the yeah. diameter doesn't, doesn't vary that much, um, that will also help you in the end. And, and especially one that you can order in like half a year again and you get the same quality stuff. You get the same base material, you get the same tolerance. Yeah. And, you know, some, some brands that you can get off of Amazon might just be rebrands off of whatever is just the cheapest supplier at the time. Yeah. So do that. And I can I can hear you already getting tired. I'm getting tired as well. So I think that's going to be today's episode. Yeah, we're skipping the last topic for next one. Sorry, IOP Farmer. We're going to answer that <laughs> next time. So I guess, Stefan, thank you for the time. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and or listening. Can you, can you imagine? Thank you people, for your time and your flexibility. Can, can you imagine just people watching the podcast and not listening to it watching us on mute like that that's got to be a weird experience (laughs) all right if you're good at liberating it that that might work but i i think that's kind of boring automatically generated subtitles Ah. let's read a podcast (laughs) god yeah all right but that's it for today thanks everyone thanks stefan uh, if you want to support Stefan or me, you can find uh, Patreon links in the description below. Otherwise, just like, subscribe, comment, do the usual things, yeah. and we will see you all next time. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Bye.